Welcome. You're listening to a Mr. Thrive Media Production. Happy Passover. Well, we are back with the podcast, and today we are introducing Rena Friedman Watts, who is here today to talk to us about her experience, not just working with Jerry Springer and Kathy Heller and Gary Vee, but also here to talk about her experience currently as a podcast producer and as a personality within her own right. As you can already tell, Rena comes from an incredibly colorful background with a very unique skill set that I'm so excited to introduce to all of you. In terms of announcements, there is currently nothing major to report when it comes to the artist's upsurge. Please know that we are working on something very secret, and if it's secret, you know it's going to be good. We're really making sure to provide quality here, so stay tuned. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. You have stumbled upon the Midget Thrive Podcast, where together we discover established artist, podcast producer, Rena Friedman-Watts. Rena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. And now as I was just explaining to Rena, like I, I actually don't have the privilege of interviewing other podcast producers as much. And I've interviewed people with podcasts, by the way. But typically, that's not their primary thing, so they kind of approach it from a hobbyist perspective. Rena here is a pro. And not only that, she has a whole slew of marketing experience and production Hollywood experience that we're going to learn from. She, I, I'm just excited for her to tell her story. I'm going to let her do that in a second. But before we get started, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, we have our Season 3 warm-up trivia. Rena. I, during our pre-interview session, you mentioned a few different big-time names uh, that you've worked with in the past. Do you remember those three major names that you mentioned? I'm sure there's a lot more that you've worked with, but there are three primary ones that you worked with. Do you remember them? Jerry Springer. Uh-huh. That's the one everyone always wants to know about. So yeah, Gary Vee. Yeah, Gary Vee. And? Kathy Heller. Yeah. So we're going to ask you three questions, one about each and every one of those, those celebrities, and see how well you truly know them, Okay. Are you ready? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. All righty. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So question one. What is Kathy Heller's second step in finding your dream life? Is it A, stop overthinking, B, invest in assets, C, 50% green foods, 30% protein, 20% grains, or D, radical empathy? Radical empathy. Correct. Nicely done. Did you remember that or was that a guess? I know that she talks about empathy a lot, so. Right, right. So that was very in brand. That was very in brand. Yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. Great job. Question two. Before Jerry Springer became the show host he is today, he had an extensive career. What job did he not have? A, CPA. B, journalist. C, Mayor or D, lawyer? A. The CPA? Yeah. Correct. You're on fire right now. This is awesome. (laughs) You're killing it. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Our final question. Question three. When Gary V helped his family business become a wine library, what did Gary call the vlog that advertised it? Was it A, Infidels Zinfidels, B, Whiny Wine, C, The Daily Grape, or B, two buck Vanderchuck. Oh my god, that's funny. 
I honestly don't know. But those are good alternatives that you gave me where I actually think some of those he could use. Oh, my gosh. Can you read them to me one more time? Of course. Yeah. And by the way, I had a lot of fun coming up with these names. I was really proud of myself. <laughs> so, A, Infidels, Zinfidels. B, Whiny Wine. C, The Daily Grape. Or D, Two Buck Vanderchuck. I would say The Daily Grape. Correct. Nicely done. That was the <laughs> only one that wasn't very cartoony, by the way. So... <laughs> I feel like I might have kind of hinted at that being the one. But overall, I had a ton of fun making up these potential wine vlog names. Feel free to steal these ideas, especially if your last name is Vanderchuk and you're not related <laughs> to the family. So there we the go. The T-Buck Chuck. That was good. I like that one. Thank you. I, was, I, I had a good dad moment for sure. Like, ooh, that's what I'd call that. So, Arena, you have a podcast today called Better Call Daddy. Um, which is not to be mistaken for call her, call her daddy. (laughs) Right. Have you listened to that podcast? I have. And it's funny because someone told me that anything with daddy in the title is bound to do well. (laughs) Right, right, right. And your podcast is doing very well. I don't don't think it's because of the name daddy though. Oh, thank you. Well, so how did you get started in that journey of producing podcasts? Well, I worked in radio in college, so I had a love for the medium there. And I co-hosted a show about two and a half, three years ago, and that really like wet my appetite again for it. I was like, oh man, I love this format. I love connecting with people and talking to them in this way. And it doesn't feel like I'm in front of a big audience, even though it could be. I just, I love the medium and I love connecting with people conversationally and letting people kind of sit in on that. After I co-hosted another show, the way that that even happened was I started off casting guests for the show and then they were like, hey, it'd be cool to have you actually share your two sons. And so, yeah, I started co-hosting a show for about a year and then it kind of fell off due to personal reasons of the the co-host. And it's funny because one of the people that we had on, I told him when he was a guest, I was like, you should have your own show. You're fantastic. And now this guy has blown up Adam Posner. He, his first show was the next level people show that I was a co-host on. And now he's got like 200 episodes and sponsors and, and big guests. He got Gary V Grant Cardone, Kathy Heller, some of the people that you just mentioned. So that was really cool. Actually, when I was working for Kathy, I helped him get her. Um, so yeah, I worked on next level people as a co-host. I saw that I was really into like booking guests and stories. And then I worked behind the scenes of Kathy and was like, I could do this too. And what better way to market than to show others that you can do it. That I think we've talked about that before. Absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think that you have to do something a certain number of times before you can actually sell it. And that's that was kind of the journey that I had with my podcast experience. And, and you have now turned that into your own personal brand. For you, what came first? Was it, I almost said call her daddy. Um, was it, <laughs> excuse me, was it... Um, Better Call Daddy? Better Call Daddy. Yeah, sorry. Was it Better Call Daddy or was it the business first? I was getting clients before I had a website, before Better Call Daddy. Yeah, entrepreneurship came first and then Better Call Daddy. Right. And and obviously your show isn't about anything in the subject matter of Call Her Daddy. So what is Better Call Daddy about then? And why why is it that title? 
So that title came about because my daddy is always who I call for all of my advice. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool to share some of my dad's advice and wisdom with the world? It was kind of like the Jerry Springer format. Like I wanted Jerry Springer type guests and stories, but then instead of Springer weighing in at the end, like my dad weighs in at the end and gives you his final thought. I see. Okay. So, so does your dad then come onto the show with you? He actually doesn't come onto the show with the guest. So okay. what happens is I interview the guest. I cut down the segment. Then my dad listens to the segment separately. Then he and I have a talk after he's listened to it. And it's the first time he's responded to it. So we don't talk about it until we Ooh, get on the Zoom. Okay. Because then the magic happens like that. And then from my conversation with my dad, I come up with the intro. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's a really, really fantastic concept. And so this is where I've, I, I'll admit, I haven't listened to the show yet, but but you have invited me onto your show. And so part of me intentionally hasn't listened to the show because I like to have the authentic experience of kind of being surprised when I'm on there. And, and Ooh, just kind of I being like open, that. And just kind of being open-minded about it. So I- That I, also re- comes from a pro. Like, Thank you. I feel like the more comfortable you get, the more you're open to doing that. And honestly, I have a mix of that with my guests. Like some people are totally comfort with this shock factor and the surprise factor and they can roll with it. But some are like, can you please send me five questions first? Can I have an outline of where you're going? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I guess I can understand like why people are really hell bent over needing the information ahead of time. It's not that I'm a very run and gun kind of person. I do like having a plan. Uh, I I just personally, when I think about capturing an authentic experience, the only way to really do that is by, by there being surprised by, by treating the podcast in the same uh, way that life prepares you, which is that you're not prepared for life. Life just happens and you adjust to it. You adapt to it. And so I kind of want that experience with any podcast. And that's why I don't try to ask too many questions during the pre-interview questions. I only do that because I'm trying to establish that bonding and rapport. So that way the conversation that we're having on the show becomes as natural as possible. So to kind of get past that icebreaker moment is, is, is helpful for me for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't even do pre-interviews with everyone. Right. I so, do it for the people that need it. But yeah. a lot of times if you, reach hard to reach people, they're not going to give you a pre-interview. They're like, hey, you know, here's the slot I have available. Do you want it? You know what I mean? So you're a much better icebreaker than I am. <laughs> you, I mean, you must be. You have to be. I mean, I, the, quite frankly, that, that's that's something that I sometimes struggle with, honestly. Interesting. Yeah. That's why I do My the pre-interview My whole thing sessions. is do your research. I didn't always in the beginning. I, I did wing it more in the beginning. But what I have found is that the conversation goes a lot better if you stalk their social media and you find everything about them online first. Then then the icebreakers happen because you know them. I had a conversation with a girl last night. I hadn't talked to her in like two years, but I had met her at an event. I'd stalked her social media. She stalks my social media. I feel like I know her. And that's right. You know what? Here's <laughs> here's the thing. I, I know you're a good I know you're a good researcher because he, let me let me tell you my my casual Tuesday and how I met you is one day I received a, a set in like five uh, likes and, and comments from from <laughs> some girl named Rena Friedman Watts. I'm like, who is this? And I I open it up and next thing I know, like I see that you commented on Kevin Naha. You count you commented on my episode with uh, Emily Blake in, in the sexuality episode. And I, I was I was like, 
who who is this girl? And I realize that someone's been doing research on me. And next thing I know, I'm connected with you. And it's because I interviewed our mutual friend, Kevin Nahai. So what a what a great uh, connection that was. And I just want to commend you for uh, your way of just kind of making people feel comfortable being stalked. I think that's such a dirty word nowadays. But I like I was like, Oh, wow. Okay, this feels good. I like this. And so you were you were just very you were very sweet about the way you did that. How do you how do you kindly stalk someone? I know it's a funny question. That is question. such a great question. And <laughs> I've done a Toastmaster speech on that. Okay, let's hear it. I want to hear this. I got to hear this. So there are three things to consider when stalking someone properly. Okay, okay. Is this a, is one, this a trivia? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on. No, but one, you have to consider who you're stalking. So has this person written online that they're going to be somewhere, but it's not open to the public. That type of person doesn't want to be potentially bum rushed. (laughs) Right. Right. Have you tried to reach out to them on social media and gotten no response? So you can kind of test people's behavior in your stalking. I do this frequently, actually. Yesterday, I watched an IG live of someone who had been on my show that I had read her book that I really enjoyed her on my podcast. She was having an interview with another author, someone who she was very aligned with topic-wise. I took about 10 screenshots until I got them both like smiling in sync. I listened to their entire conversation. I took a quote from their conversation. I shared it in my story. I at signed both of them in my story. The first one who had been on my podcast reshared it. Boom. The other girl connected with me and then reshared it too. New wow. friend. Wow. So you just described something that I think you don't give yourself enough credit for. It, it, maybe there's a step three part two. I don't know. But it's the act of giving. You are a giver. You gave them free micro content right there. And oh, now- definitely. And then they both shared it. So that was really easy. Yeah. Here's another thing to consider the the atmosphere. So like my speech, I actually was thinking about retweaking this speech. Um, my speech was about Eric Weinstein. It's somebody that my husband very much looks up to. About two years ago, Eric Weinstein didn't have the following that he has now. That's another thing to consider, actually, when someone is has 100,000 followers versus a million followers that are actually a lot more reachable and not being bombarded with however many direct messages, right? So you got to think about how busy these people are, what they care about, can you provide them micro content, what, just what's important to them, right? So... Two years ago, before this guy had blown completely up, he's been on Tim Ferriss. He works for Peter Thiel. Like, he's been on Joe Rogan a bunch. Now that he's been on Joe Rogan, I feel like he's much less approachable. I had reached out to him on Twitter via DMs, and I just said, you know, my husband loves your physics knowledge, and he he just loves everything about your brand, and it would make his birthday if you had 30 seconds to wish him a happy birthday. And he went for it. But again, timing, you know, knowing something about the person and giving them an opportunity to like do something good. It just, it worked. And so, yeah, that was crazy. And 
yeah, so two years later, my husband saw on Twitter that he was coming to the University of Chicago to speak, and it was a closed event. But we were like, we're stalking out the place. We like literally, and my husband was like, take the baby. He was like, take the baby. He's a dad. He was like, nobody can turn down a cute puppy or a baby. He was like, take the two-year-old, take our other two kids, you know? So we went down to the University of Chicago. We literally staked out the place. We like knew the building he was in because he announced the building. We walked all around the building. We wanted to see if we could see him from the outside, right? We wanted to see were students going in and out. Wow. So you went. What was the security procedure? Yeah, this was like <laughs> you went, real life stuff. This, this felt like a casino heist, basically what you're doing. You, you were scoping out the this whole setting. Okay. So then what happens? And then my husband like knows what kind of person he is from listening to his podcast all the time. He was like, this guy's going to be nervous. Like he's giving a speech to, you know a big audience, it would be better not to bum rush him before the speech, but after the speech, after he's complete and excited that it's over, then maybe catch him on the way out. I was like, genius. I was like, okay, you, you stay on the outside in case he comes out. Me and my daughter will go in and see what the security is like. So we go in like with a student, we act like, hey, do you know where this room is? Some really sweet girl like showed us which way to go. We go down and the doors open. I'm like texting my husband. I'm like, it's open. It's really Oh my open. God. Like, oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But like he was wrapping up his speech. I'm like, if you don't come now. And he's like, how do I get in? Somebody let you in. They're not going to let me in. So we, we like make a mad dash upstairs, let him in, walk in with the stroller. He recognized us from the post I did two oh, years no ago. And, yes. And from the birthday interaction. Okay. Yeah. And, and was then? like, Zev. <laughs> and he fist bumped the baby. Like the baby <laughs> brought it home. Because he is a father, he loves his family, we came, we were the only ones to bring kids. The guy had like a bodyguard too, by the way, it was so crazy. He was like looking at us weird in the beginning, like who are these people? But the family element like really resonated. Did the bodyguard fist bump the baby as well? He didn't. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> but I did share it and it was my husband's first time meeting him. And I made a little 30 second clip because I didn't know what was going to happen of my husband walking up to him. And then he got down, saw the baby, fist bumped the baby, boom, put that on Instagram. It was so cute. And he took a family picture with us. And and we read the situation where he was like, just gave this speech, had a zillion people that wanted to try to meet him. You know, we had a quick moment and then we didn't try to take him out to dinner. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, okay, I, I, I'm either going to plant a seed or I'm going to just say something you've heard a thousand times in your life because you have this great energy and you take yourself on these great adventures and you have a certain wisdom for how you go about this this, this industry that even is educating me as we speak, right? So I'm going to say something and you tell me if you've heard this before. You should have a vlog. Just following your life. Like you should make a video vlog about your life, following it around on these adventures that you do, educating people because you, you have a certain level of bravery that I just respect, but it's also, it's also unabashed and it's effective and it works really well. I think there's something very, um, very encapsulating about that. Would you agree? That's so sweet. Have you done that before? I actually for the next year have been really debating whether to make my website include a blog, but I was thinking more along the lines of expanding out a blog on each guest that I've interviewed. Well, blog, right? But I'm talking about video blog, so like a vlog with a V. Um, I'm saying, I'm saying, to make a YouTube channel, 
following your life like more of my adventures more That's of your really adventures and also advice that you can give and you know kind of kind of going all in on the idea of kind of becoming a little bit of an influencer yourself that's part of what my show is about is bringing people on just as they are getting as big as they are or already as as big as they are you know this has got to be a journey for you. I, I'm so excited for oh, you it's because, been like, such a journey. I, it, I tried to. Re- What's funny is a week before that, Katie Couric came to Chicago, and I keep the Sabbath. And her event was literally like an hour after the Sabbath. I was like, "We're buying oh, VIP tickets. They're okay. not that expensive." I'm like, yeah. "I'm going to meet her," but it didn't happen. I tried. She had a meet and greet, but it was during Shabbos. Oh. So, had we been able to get there a couple hours earlier, we could have probably made it happen. But look, Jordan Peterson's coming to Chicago. We don't stop. I'm like, if somebody's coming and it's at a time that we can make it, you know, we're going to try to like meet the people that we want to know. What, what would you say is the most successful celebrity or guest invitation on your podcast? What was the most successful, you know, kind of daring journey you've had so far? I mean, Gary V was a big journey. That story is crazy. So I was working for a financial firm where I used to plan these lunch and learn events. So I used to market the events. I used to reach out to the people via LinkedIn and they sold like these expensive life insurance policies. I was really good at bringing people to the party. I was really good at the relationship building side of it, but I did not believe in the life insurance. I, I was not hyped about that product. And I was like, God, this is just not for me. But I had hired someone that was the event producer for Gary V to help me put on one of these. And when she found out I wanted to become an entrepreneur and leave that joint, she was like, I want to hire you to help me with sponsorships. I had no idea how to do it, but I was like, I can reach out to anyone. And I bet with my network, I could get a couple sponsors. I'm like, I'm going to figure out what that message is and what works and rinse, recycle, repeat. I'm coming, you know? And so for about three weeks prior to his event, I was just pounding, pounding the pavement, reaching out to every brand she wanted to participate. And I ended up getting a hold of Spirit Airlines and the brand manager at the time, her husband was a huge fan of Gary Vee. I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I was like, what do I have to do to get Spirit Airlines to send me some tickets? She was like, well, I can't go. She's like, I don't have a passport. The event was in Toronto. She was like, just get me a signed book from Gary Vee. I'm like, Done. Done. So she gives me a free ticket. (laughs) Yeah. To the event. First class, first seat. And I was like, I'm going to be a part of this media junket. I was like, I'm going to see, I'm going to work my way to Gary. But I also got another sponsor who said to me that he would pay for five minutes with Gary, like an interview with Gary and a couple of the other influencers were at the event. It started off at a higher price. I couldn't lock him down. And like a week before I was like, look, this is a once in a lifetime. I don't know if I'll ever work on this event again. I can get you to Gary V. Are you in? I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to make sure you get your five minutes with all those people you want. In fact, I'm going to film it on my phone too. He was like, I'll see you there. Literally. I was just following this guy around. He gave me eight grand. (laughs) I got 20% of it. I literally worked for a percentage. And I was part of his interview. I got it on my phone. I was part of all of the other interviews. I saw the whole behind the scenes of it. Yeah, it was so crazy. I only booked two sponsors, but I did it in a couple of weeks. I had never done it before. Crazy. What's What would you attribute to that? You've never done it before, but you found this success in this kind of crazy rigmarole of an adventure. What would, what would you attribute to 
what you've just accomplished in that moment right there. One thing I learned from that experience was you really, it's not a bait and switch, but you really have to brag about what you think are the bragging points. So I'm like 2,500 entrepreneurs are going to be there. Did I really know if that was going to be the case? I mean, that's what she expected from her prior events. Good selling point. Yeah. Selling points have to be there. And what other brands are already on board? Who can you already brag about? I see. Okay. And if, you, if you're like, hey, K-Swiss is there. This brand is there. I don't have another airline. You can be the only airline. You know, what can you do for them? Right. Right. You know? Okay. So it's, it's what can what you do can for you them? What can you put them on the branding? How many social media posts are going to be around it? Right, right. What can you throw in with the book? Right. So it's a, it's a matter of selling points. And then with the personality, I think charisma is a big part of it as well. Charisma is so big. And I documented like what you're saying, the entire thing. Like when I got to Spirit Airlines and I'm like pregnant, I'm getting on, I'm going on this adventure. You were pregnant in this time? I was. I actually had a miscarriage. So crazy. Oh, okay. I'm wow. like an adventurer no matter what. Um, so yeah, so I was posing with the Spirit Airlines people on the plane, on the check-in, every direction. They were throwing up peace signs. I was connecting with them on Instagram. I was like, going on adventure. Mama's going on adventure. Never been to <laughs> Toronto. I was making every person on the trip part of my journey. I love that. Where does your where does your energy come from? Where do you get that <laughs> charisma? I think, honestly, it's from my dad. Honestly, I'm not going to lie, but he is like that. He is such a ham. He's more than me. What's your dad's name? Wayne. Wayne. Hi, Wayne. You've raised a wonderful person. Just saying. Just saying, Aww. Wayne. Um, okay, so it comes from your father, and he was a high-energy person, too. He is high-energy. He's also been an entrepreneur his entire career, and I see him constantly hustling and constantly making a deal and how he gets excited by that. I love new experiences. And, and when I see that something doesn't happen every day, like Katie Couric coming to Chicago on her only book, her first book tour one hour after Shabbos, I'm like, what? I'm in the city. She's only going to 10 places. It's at a, a time I can go. It's reasonable tickets. She's following me on Instagram. I'm going to that. I'm going to take pictures with her and chase the rapper and I'm going to quote her and I'm going to get her attention. I get juiced by response. <laughs> Love that. I, is your father still working? Yeah. That's amazing. How old is your father now? Um, he's 23, old, 23 years older than me. So like 64-ish. 64-ish. Wow. He's, he has a young energy. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, he he's not running an entire company anymore. He did that for 40 years. Now he's consulting, which is great. So he's like kind of what I'm doing with the podcast producing. He's overseeing other small businesses. But from his relationships that he had in the industry, he's bringing the deals. And what did he do for 40 years? He ran a lighting manufacturing company. Okay. Got it. And you said the industry, are you talking about the film industry or are you talking about? No, he made like lighting reflectors, like can lights. Yeah. What's interesting is his dad did little lights for Broadway and his dad always wanted to work in the industry. But oh, wow. Yeah. He went a different direction. 
Hey folks, we're gonna take a quick break. And before we do that, I wanna emphasize the fact that because of this pandemic, Mr. Thrive Media realized that we need to do a better job at supporting small business wherever we can. So enjoy. Hey Thrivers, do you hear a certain difference in quality? That's because this podcast quality is made possible by Squadcast. Virtual recordings have become easier than ever with Squadcast studio quality SaaS remote recording platform. This cloud-based technology secures your files and minimizes post-production for all podcast producers. And I should know because I am one. Heighten the experience of your podcast by clicking the link in the show notes below. This podcast is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Mr. Thrive Media builds communities through its content marketing and networking events. During this pandemic, our dedicated team commits to the value of connection by producing podcast content while extending a helping hand towards artists and entertainment professionals. Mr. Thrive Media puts its values first by supporting small businesses and empowering emerging artists. For more information, visit www.mrthrive.com. That's mrthrive.com. So okay, so so you and I then have a lot of parallels from what I from what I'm hearing, and you know my father's a business coach now, which oh, cool. you know like that he ran his business for 30 years. He had something kind uh, of kind of more on the mundane side as well that he ran for 30 years, and now I produce my dad's podcast, as you know. Uh, so it's it's super interesting just to see like the different parallels that we have going on, and like beyond this podcast, there's a lot of ways that you and I can work together, and like. It's so exciting to just kind of see the collaboration happening in real time. And I'm just, I want to thank you again for like just kind of being on the show, being open and being kind of open to these opportunities. Cause I think that's the biggest attribute to you that I can see. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I love collaborating with other creatives. And, and I saw too, from the people that you had in your group that you really gravitate good people towards you. So that is another way to continue to grow. You know, it's like if I had somebody on my podcast who's a podcaster and then they have a guest that they're like, this is my right hand person. I'm like, oh, I need to know that person. So I'm like, hey, I saw your post with Christopher Lynn and he says you are his right hand. I'm like, I like Chris. So therefore, I want to connect with you. So I do that all the time, like daily. If there's someone I like and they love someone, I want to know them. And by the way, the group that Rena is referring to is the Myth of Thrive Network, who is the audience of this podcast. And so, Rena, thank you for that. I, I really do hope that that is the energy I, I, I try to emulate. And, and, and with that, you know, bring, bring people in. I think that's really what, what makes a brand is you got to build it and they will come. It's the idea around uh, the business itself. And, and you do the same thing as well. You know, you bring about a community of good people. You have your Facebook group. It's a LinkedIn laughs and what is it again? Business, business laughs and LinkedIn, business laughs and LinkedIn. You are such a great community organizer. Can you tell me about your experience with that? You know, I heard something this week that I really liked that kind of goes along with that question. You know how, and, and probably all people do this, but how Jewish people like invite others in and they, they say that you could be inviting in an angel. Like they do it in their sukkah, you know, they, they do it on their Friday night dinners for Sabbath dinner. You know, you're supposed to like welcome guests into your life. Not only should you be hospitable to people, like bringing them into your community, but you should also be hospitable to yourself. So 
that means you should give yourself grace. You should give yourself patience. You should, like, you don't always have to be reinventing the wheel either. I'm kind of all over the place with what I was thinking. But if you see a post on Twitter that you resonate with, you can turn that into your own words. I do this a lot. Like if there's something where I, that I see on Quora or on Twitter or on Reddit, and I'm like, oh my God, yes. Or if it has a lot of responses, I'm like, how can I say that in Rena? And so a lot of my prompts in my community are things that have been upgraded or responded to a lot, or I've seen on platforms that spoke to me immediately. And I'm like, if it speaks to me immediately, then it's probably going to speak to my tribe immediately. So I, I schedule them. Like if I see one, I schedule it. And I try to just do one post a day of something that spoke to me. So I feel like if it spoke to me, it's going to speak to others. That's one way that I've kept the community going. Or if I, if I'm in another Facebook group and I see it there, you know, you can reuse other people's things. You can like, you gave me a great idea in, in your thrive group. And then I turn that into Rena. Like you saw it. Yeah. I oh, forgot I what the it. question was even. It was, what was the moment that you realized you were an artist? Yeah, that's a great question. And I felt like there's a lot of artists and entrepreneurs and creators in my group. So I shouted you out, which makes you feel good and includes you in the conversation. And then I reused it. I love that. I love that. And and thank you for that, by the way. It's it's also just a huge compliment for, for me, seriously. So thank you for that. You said something earlier, which is that you have to give yourself grace. You have to be patient with yourself. Were you not always like that? Oh God, I was always like wanting results to happen immediately. Actually, this podcast has been a really good test of patience because your first 50 interviewers, whether you are a professional interviewer or not, you have to figure out the format and you have to figure out the guests and you have to figure out, I mean, I added a co-host to my show. So what makes him comfortable and what do you need from him and how do I draw that out? And yeah. And then too, you're like, okay, I'm managing the social, I'm managing the guests, I'm managing the promotions. Do I want to invest in SEO? Like, does the website matter? Does the social matter? Does your gear matter? Like, there's so many elements. You're like, well, I could get a brand new, amazing Mac and a better mic, or I could invest in somebody really ramping up my SEO and transforming my website and reusing some of this content that I've already invested in and getting it better reach. Maybe I could even use podcasts that I really love that other people have done of me and re-air those. You have to be able to give yourself breaks. You have to get creative. You have to switch things up. There's so much in creating a podcast that people don't realize. It's true. There's, all these individual steps. It's it's not just being able to go down the timeline and be able to, you know, edit out all the ums, butts, and stutters and, you know, get all the awkward little technicals out and adding an intro and outro. It's oh, I, I I make it sound like it's so simple, but even that alone is is requires patience and grace. It then comes down to how you market it, how you put it out there, how you're gonna distribute it, what's the thought behind the title of it, what's the thought behind the show notes of it, making it SEO optimized. You know, how do you get your guest to be your champion for you now that you've had it on the show and whatnot? And it's so, so difficult to do with all these different moving parts to play. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And do you go back and 
retried because you're getting new listeners all the time. So they aren't listening to the older episodes. Do you try to revamp those? I've tried different ways of doing that. Like if I see someone who's been on and I love a post that they've done, I'll share their post and then say, Hey, check out their story. Here's the link to, or if it's someone's birthday or if it's their anniversary or they're celebrating something, I'll try to like, piggyback on that. That's very smart, honestly. Yeah, I, I think that for, for me personally, my, my strategy has just been to focus on the new and just focus on because I think I think when you're when you're focusing on the new, if someone really is an in, is, is interested in the show, they will just eventually go back and start to listen to the other ones. And there are some there's some episodes in my podcast that, you know, some are kind of in the low hundreds range, some some jump up to the five hundred downloads range. And and they were early episodes that at the time didn't do very well and just exponentially grew out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, how did this happen? And what I find is that a lot of the guests put these shows on their website to talk about, you know, where they've where they've, you know, been featured. They have like a press link. And people who are interested in those in those in those individual people, they end up looking into these podcasts and they see these podcasts as the tool to actually help build them up and build up their reputation. So it's suddenly in just one episode, they're able to establish an entire new kind of resume and give a window into who they are and their personality. And that's what creates it. I think that's what really one of the most effective strategies that I've seen. What I'm trying to say is that if you guest on a podcast, put that podcast on your website so that, that way there's content to give a window into who you are and give people an idea for who you are. That's that's my thought. That's such a good tip. And I also think that you know LinkedIn gives you an opportunity to attach clips to your profile. So when I send my guests their thumbnail and their promo clip and all of the links to the episode, I also say like, hey, you can use this promo this promo clip or the link on your LinkedIn. You can use it for your newsletter. You can use it for your website. Like I try to tell them all of the places that they can promote it. Absolutely. I think having it in your email signature it is important too. Let's say you're cold prospecting. You you send out an email to someone and it just looks like every other email. There's nothing, there's no inclination for that person to continue looking into you, right? But then they see that you have a podcast and they're like, well, who is this guy? And they click on it. I need to write that down. I didn't have it in my email signature. Yeah. And I, I have, I, for me personally, you, you'll see that I have my website, obviously my email signature. You'll see that I have the blog for uh, five reasons your business needs a podcast. But there are a lot of other things that we can do. And, and going into 2022, putting in your email signature, having the actual album art in there right below your, your logo or whatever it is to kind of demonstrate who you are. Oh my God. Like now, every single time you send out an email, you're subconsciously, you're passively promoting your podcast. That's genius. Thank you. Thank you. And you have a <laughs> lot of genius strategies too. I think a big one is cross promotion, which, you know, guys, speaking of cross promotion, go check out Better Call Daddy. Seriously. It's, it, I, I really enjoy the theme of the podcast. I've seen the guests on the show. Uh, great people, great energy all around. I mean, listen to the host herself. I mean, she just has a fantastic energy. So, Anything Thank I can do you. to brag about Rena, like, let's get it going. One thing I'm curious, can I ask you a question? What would you like to outsource? What is not your strong suit? It's a great question. So right now, personally with my business, the, the services that we are currently selling directly from me 
you know, just the general podcast production, the distribution. I tell people on a regular basis, we're not a digital marketing agency. We don't do social media. We do co-manage it. And what that means is we are making posts about the podcast, but we're not making posts on your behalf about your business. So let's say you brought in a new employee. Uh, we're not going to make a post uh, announcing the new hire. However, we will make a post about the new hire if the hire if the new hire was put onto your podcast. So we make we we I I specifically have that I, I purposely format it in that way because I know my strengths and weaknesses. And quite frankly, I'm not the strongest social media person. I think I do practice good practices for myself when it comes to social media and promoting my business. It can be better, by the way. I know that. And eventually, when the business grows to where it needs to be, we will have a dedicated person managing their social media. But along with that, the struggle is the fact that I cannot replicate that for all of my clients. I have to be realistic about that. So the expertise of digital marketing needs to be outsourced at some point. We'll have someone covering in the newsletter. We'll have someone covering uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter management, LinkedIn management, so on and so forth. And then being able to sell that service on, on repeat to other uh, clients as well. So that's something we're looking into. So you do have people that you recommend if they're looking for those services. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, that's great. Yeah. 2022, one of the plans for Mr. Thrive Media, we're white labeling a lot of services. We're opening up partnerships so that, that way we can be able to sell that service with a certain professional quality assurance that we weren't able to before. 2022, we're going in a lot more smart. <laughs> I said that in the dumbest way. We're going in, we're going, we're going in in a much more effective way. That's what I'm trying to say. That's great. I, I think one way to grow as an entrepreneur is having those type of either white labeled services or just relationships with people who you like their work. I couldn't agree more. Same question to you. What do you outsource? Well, I currently outsource my editing, but we kind of work as a team together. So like my editor for Better Call Daddy, I use with my corporate clients. So I act as an agency, but I have tested her work for the last year. And so I may do a shoot locally with someone in Chicago where I sit down and I do the interview with them and I hire a cameraman. So I'm supervising the camera guy, but I have a camera guy that I like and I like his gear and I've worked with him on multiple projects. So I am a, an agency, but I'm more of like the supervisor of all of the pieces. I don't do the shooting. I could, I don't do the editing. I could, but that's the thing too. Like I have done the editing. I have done post-production supervising. So I feel comfortable communicating with the editor. Like her first pass may be so off where I'm like, okay, let's get on a call. I'm going to pick the shots. I'm going to pick the transitions. I'm going to tell you how I want this strung out. So I am currently outsourcing all of my editing. I'm considering beefing up my website and investing in turning some of my best episodes into blogs. We got a guy for that. We should talk about it then. We should talk about it. See, this is networking right here. Exactly. <laughs> Rena, where are you from? I am born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky. What was it like growing up there? Oh, that's such a great question. I felt like an outsider 
I did because my dad was a New Yorker <laughs> driving like big Cadillacs and town cars and everybody else is driving trucks. You know, I just remember him rolling up to the roller skating rink when I used to like to do that on Friday and Saturday night. And I would be just so embarrassed. I'm like, can you park down the block? I'm like, oh my God. You know, I didn't even want to get into his car. Now I appreciate that. But growing up, I was so <laughs> embarrassed of my dad and how much we stuck out. I mean, he looks like the Jewish version of like the Sopranos. My grandfather had the big bushy eyebrows and wore suits every day and not not very Kentucky. Not a very Kentucky look. The Wranglers yeah. and the boots and it, it's just me and my husband were kind of talking about this today too. He was saying that like intellectualism wasn't encouraged. I don't know if podcasting has like changed that a little bit, leveled the playing ground some, but part of the, okay. So I met my husband in California. I was at Nanny 911 and he was in the PhD program at Berkeley. We met on J-Date. We decided, yeah, he got a job in Silicon Valley for a couple of years, but then he really wanted to switch departments and wasn't able to make an internal move. And so he was just applying at different companies. And one night at like midnight, he saw that GE was hiring back in Louisville. I'm like, Oh my God, let's do it. So he applied like a total fluke and he lands a job paying more than we were, he was making in California back in my hometown. So we go back to Kentucky. Yeah. So crazy. And it brought up so much for me. I was like, oh my God, I'm lucky I have an education. I'm lucky I can read. I didn't like being Jewish here. I don't want to raise my kids here. Like we were literally there for like two or three years. And then we moved to Chicago because. Right. Chicago has a much better Jewish. Yeah. Look, we are not pioneers in doing this. Like me and my husband were not religious. We're, you know, we started keeping the Sabbath and kosher together and we wanted like a Friday night dinner and we gradually grew into being more observant. But when you're on that path, you can't go back to where that's not available. So we tried it and it was great. I got to be around my parents and grandparents for a couple of years and that was good for my kids for a few years. It was a very special time. And then we moved to Chicago and that's been a complete adventure. And what else is crazy about moving back to Chicago is I started my career in Chicago. Like Jerry Springer was in Chicago. When I was in Chicago right out of college, I never lived in the observant Jewish community. <laughs> you went you went full circle is what you're saying. So crazy. Like I didn't even know about this neighborhood. I didn't keep kosher. I was not keeping the holidays. I was not keeping the Sabbath. I was not involved. But I do feel like I've kind of gotten to still work in entertainment and live a bit of a family life and normalize doing both. Right. Right. So th there's, I mean, that's, that's quite the adventure for sure. And, and Chicago is where you plan to stay. Do you, did, was there, if it was not Chicago, was there a favorite place outside of that? I actually really loved LA. Okay. But the cost of living with four kids in private school and. Oh Yeah. I just can't imagine doing it. I mean, honestly, we have a much more comfortable life here. Oh, it's, it's, I, <laughs> I, I can, I can attest that it's pretty expensive. And I think that, um, it's on the top 10 most expensive cities in the world, right? LA, San Francisco, 
Tel Aviv, uh, Tokyo. These are like on some of the top 10 most expensive places in the world. Silicon Valley, when we were there, we, and this was like before it blew up, like we were there 2006 to 2008 ish. Yeah. What I'm, trying to, we, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is these cities are overrated. <laughs> yeah. Like we had a two bedroom, two bath for two grand a month on top of a restaurant. <laughs> There was there is a previous guest on this podcast, also from Chicago. Um, we have a big Chicago following, actually. Um, but there was another guest on the show, uh, and she was saying that Chicago very much is supportive of the working class. Like, it has a good working class group of people. I Would agree. You, yeah. And there's a certain vibe that's very different, obviously, from L.A. And I, I've been to Chicago. It definitely is very different from, from L.A. Um, but when you first when you when you came back to Chicago the second time, did you notice anything different? Well, it's grown. I mean, a lot more built up. What was really crazy is I worked in NBC Tower pre Trump Tower. So yeah, I, I went driving downtown and couldn't find NBC Tower. It was completely blocked. I was like, <laughs> what? Where, where is it? So that was weird. And you know what else is really crazy? I ended up interviewing, I forgot which show. It was like another show that took over the offices of Jerry Springer. And it was such, it's just crazy. Like when you've had so many different experiences in the industry and then you retry to enter that later. So I think I was interviewing for like an associate producer role or something and as a mom, like it just doesn't work anymore. Let me ask you this from all the different jobs that you've had in, in producing, what, what would you say you saw the most growth in yourself from? The first job that comes to mind is I worked on this E, I think it was an E show. It was called kill reality and <laughs> it was Great name. a bunch. Yeah. It was a bunch of reality stars that had been on other shows. So people from Survivor and Road Rules and Apprentice, and they all got the opportunity to live in a house together and then film like a B movie. So we were, (laughs) yeah, it was crazy. So it was like the behind the scenes of what it's like for reality stars to try to create a feature. And then I worked on the reality show part that was like them living in the house together. That's where all the drama happens. I'm sure. All the drama is like in the house of all these people living together. And then the movie was like bad acting. Like it was like directed to video, right? (laughs) I love that. Okay. But I hadn't really worked with that many reality star personalities at once. (laughs) So that was a real growth experience. And there were so many cameras. There was It was such a big crew because there was the movie side and the reality show side. So it was like figuring out where to be and where you're needed and where you shouldn't be. And it was just around the clock coverage. It's a cute and idea. So a few times too, like I was in the house where the camera crew rolled in, like just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so... I had to really grow from that. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like utter chaos. I, I got a small little sample of that last night, actually. Last night was the season 41 finale of Survivor. 
So um, that is so crazy. My best friend, Josh, who actually co-hosted, he get, he guest co-hosted on this podcast once. It was kind of cute. But we brought Josh on the show. Josh, my best friend, is a super fan of Survivor, okay? He's the rain man of Survivor. If you ask him, and I've tested him before, I have this on video, where if you, if you ask him who was the fifth person voted out of season 19, he will tell you, okay? Who he was is the, everything. Who was the wow. first person? I have a friend like that too. He, was, he almost got cast. He was like a runner-up. He knows everything. Do you know uh, there's a show – with one of the Survivor winners, his name is Rob Sisternino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob has a podcast. So, Rob has a podcast. Yeah, yeah, he actually wrote me a LinkedIn recommendation. I worked with him on Kill Reality. Right, right. So he he is he he is a big uh, authority in the in the Survivor space for sure. Being a previous contestant, last night though, Josh had invited me to to a, a Survivor finale hosted by one of the previous Survivor contestants, and you know what I. Josh reaches out to all these different Survivor contestants all the time. <laughs> he finds out they're on Instagram or on Twitter. He messages them and then somehow makes friends with them. So he has become friends with Lauren from, I'm going to probably shoot myself in the foot for guessing incorrectly, but I'm going to guess season 39. Last night was, we, we were working the event. I, I, I volunteered for it. Just kind of like to help check in all these tickets. All of these D-list celebrities came in at once with this kind of, you know, not to be critical. There were some that were very nice, but there were also some prima donna airs to them, you know. And and it was just like it was just like uh, you know, like oftentimes they would ask me a question, like you know, I'm just a volunteer. I don't know. I do not know. But they would come in, and it was just so interesting to see uh, these big personalities in one place and these recognizable survivor players. So when you mentioned survivor, I was like, Oh, triggered. I got to mention, I got to say something. So yeah, I met Johnny Fairplay on that production as well. I'm still connected with him too. He's had such a con, uh, such a transformation since that show. Yeah. He's like become, I don't know, like born again or super Christian and remarried and yeah, that's really interesting. But at the time I met him, I mean, he was, it was right before he got his teeth knocked out with Johnny Bonaducci or is that his name? Um, can't remember on top of my Bonaducci, head. Bonaducci. Yeah. 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 One of these award shows, uh, fair play used to like jump on top of people and kind of hump them. And it really rubbed Bonaducci the wrong way. And he pushed him off of his back. And then at an award show, Johnny knocked out his teeth on teeth. So what you're talking about though, like the big personalities, all in one place. I was not used to that because working on Nanny 911 was a lot more structured <laughs> and uh, it was regular families, but then there were some nannies that were the stars and I would work with them at like their voiceover sessions and stuff, but they weren't really prima donnas. Okay. So they, these were, the, the, these were, there was, there were just some people that were like, that, that very much were like, I didn't get my VIP pass. Like, well, you're not a VIP. You're you're a cont- you're a previous contestant, and so you get this envelope instead. And so there was like this whole entire thing. I'm just thinking. I've about- seen that too. It's really challenging, especially when you're trying to get interviews out of these people, and 
rope them in a little bit and get them yeah. to focus. You know, oh a lot of people have their own agenda. And that's another thing that I dealt with on Springer is, you know, you can talk to somebody on the phone and you can put them in a green room and brief them and tell you, tell them like how the story is supposed to unfold, but they get out there on the stage and they do whatever the heck they want. Oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I had that I had that experience working my my last sound mixing job when I used to work in the film industry. It'd be there was this game show that we would that that was run in the studio, and um, I had to find my, part of my job was just to track down every single actor before they got on stage to mic them up. But you know I would say hey wait right here I'm gonna go get your mic pack. I go run and get it. I come back they're gone. So it became this whole entire thing of herding cats. <laughs> And I, sometimes I would only get them right before they jump on, and it'd be like I don't even know if I mic them up correctly because I had like five seconds to do it. Um, and luckily, I got lucky every single time, but it was like, oh my god, like like that was insane. It was insanity. Try working at Springer where they're ripping out hair and fingernails and mics. <laughs> right, I know. I know your Jerry, your Jerry Springer experience was quite something. Oh my god, it was honestly like the reason I still talk about it twenty years later is because I learned the most there. I learned how to book a story. I learned how to pitch a story. I learned how to talk people into doing crazy things on national television. I, I learned how to talk people back into doing something after they didn't want to. Yeah. How do you do that? That that's an art in itself. Okay. So you that learned is how- so hard. Like wow. sometimes they would run into each other on the street before the show happened and it would happen in the street. And then you have to like calm them down and try to get them to redo that. You mean like a fight? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Sometimes. Because we would take our stories to the same venue. So sometimes a half of a story from another segment would tell the story from another segment where they were or where they were staying. And, oh, my God, we'd have hotels calling us in the middle of the night. It was just it was so crazy. It was so crazy. You survived. Was there a favorite moment in your Jerry Springer experience? Well, the story that got me promoted and that was used in his, I think, 25-year best episodes was actually one of my stories. So I was really excited about that when I saw it. It was a 14-year-old girl who called the show, didn't even disclose her name, and she was like, I caught my grandmother in bed with my boyfriend. Ooh, okay. I booked her, the grandmother, the boyfriend and the mother who was recently released from prison. Okay. Wow. Okay. Turned out he slept with the mother, the grandmother and the daughter and the daughter was pregnant. It was like the most crazy story. Oh my God. That's some. I think she ended up giving the baby up. I don't know. I kept in touch with that's the hardest part was that sometimes the guests like really trust you really connect with you and want to keep in touch with you way past the show. So they had my number, they were using it frequently. Like I'm actually still in touch with a few guests. It's really crazy, but I had my favorites. Like there was this one little person who (laughs) was on my show. She was a great guest. I, I just really felt for her story. She was such a good guest that we brought our best guest with us to Jamaica spring break. And so I had never been to Jamaica. Like I was partying with her. We snuck off the resort together. She was like a not, you know, she was like everyone wanted to, everyone wanted to meet her because there weren't very many little people on Jamaica <laughs> or, you know, 
So it's like, I'm with her. And we just, we partied in Jamaica together. And what's really crazy is like two years ago, she was pregnant and I was pregnant and we reconnected through Facebook, you know, and she ends up having like, I think a five or six pound baby. And I had a three pound baby. We make jokes about it. I'm like, you know, if anybody <laughs> would have like thought that the three pounder was, they would have thought it was yours, you know? Right. Wow. But yeah, she's a mom now. I'm a mom now. Just I've I've followed her journey all of these years. I would love speaking of vlog to like vlog go meet her after yeah. twenty years of keeping yeah. in touch. Like Absolutely. that would be insane. That's an episode right there. This is what oh, I'm saying. You got to do that. That would be uh, that is something I want to put into the universe because I would love to reconnect with her. There are people that I've kept in touch with for twenty years that would make such a good story. That is one of them. I bet. So here are my takeaways from this interview. You talked about your character. We, we, we covered your charisma. We covered your you know, ability to have selling points and be persistent. We covered your open-mindedness and willing to overlook the social barriers so that way you can actually achieve what you're looking for, right? We, we, we talked about where you're from and we talked about your amazing father and the influence that he has been on you and the, and the, the impact that he has in your content currently, which is amazing, right? We talked about your experience in the industry, working with Jerry Springer, Kathy Heller, Gary Vee. Like, I'm just like, we've covered a lot of ground in this hour. How to stalk. How to stalk people. That's, a, <laughs> that's an art that one day you're going to write a book about. <laughs> yeah, you, you've learned a lot about you. There's a lot that people can learn from you. For people that are listening, what is the best way that people can get a hold of you? Rena at bettercalldaddy.com. That information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, Rena, the question I ask everybody on this podcast what will you be famous for? Yeah, you know, when I heard you ask that, I had a good answer then. <laughs> I, that is such a great question. Let me think about that for a second. Cause I want to, I want it to be maybe that I helped them share something that they never would have otherwise. Like that is my favorite part, honestly, of doing the interviews is when someone tells me, wow, I've never shared that before. That gets me so excited. And I also really love giving people their first opportunity to tell their story. Like I'm not all about just having influencers on my show. Like I really love the diamond in the rough. I think it goes back to me working it an NPR station and combing the newswire for a good story, me working in court TV and going through hundreds of small claims cases to find the one that's insane and never been on air before. I love finding the diamond in the rough stories. And I love getting people to have that boldness and the courage for the first time. And I hope that more of those stories will come my way. Rita Friedman, everyone. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been absolutely fantastic to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great connecting with you. Thank you for listening. This podcast releases bi-weekly on Fridays. To attend one of our networking events, visit the registration link in the show notes or go to www.mrthrive.com. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Email chaz at mrthrive.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.